Today's program involves a very frank discussion of human biology, puberty, and sexual development. Personal discretion is advised. Hi there, and welcome to the T21 Mum podcast. This is episode 55. My name is Mary, and I'll be your host. Each episode will talk about life, Down syndrome, single parenting, and pretty much everything in between. I have a daughter named Ainsley, and she's eight years old and rocking an extra chromosome, also known as Down syndrome. And I am living life my way. And like always, my friend and co-host Ron is also joining me today. Hey, Mary, how's it going? I'm doing all right. Still on the Neely? Still in the Neely, on the Neely, but without a boot. Thank goodness. <laughs> so you must be feeling much lighter. Yes, yes. And sleeping is a little bit easier now because that boot was quite heavy, actually. And every so often it would run itself into your other ankle and make that hurt? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I run over my uh, somewhat good foot a few times with the Neely. <laughs> Ow. Yes. <laughs> so today... Our show is an extremely serious topic, uh, an extremely um, important topic to, Mm -hmm. you know, the other T21 parents out there and for uh, special needs uh, kids in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, we we did the warning off the top of the show, but let's, let me say it again. This is a show that involves a very frank discussion of, uh, human uh, biology, uh, uh, sexuality, and uh, puberty. Mm-hmm. So if this is, if these are subjects that, you know, are make listeners uncomfortable, uh, then, you know, I would suggest that you exercise uh, your best personal discretion in where and how you listen to the show or not listen at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yes. I mean, I learned a ton. I mean, I learn a lot on each episode, but Andrea Lee is, so informative and such an engaging speaker and she gives some very excellent advice to all of us out there because this is such a milestone that i'm so not looking forward to (laughs) what it it, what's also like you know you're not looking forward to it because it's something that's not really discussed so people are very uh uncomfortable a lot of people Mm -hmm. are very uncomfortable with this a lot of parents who may not have had any education around this themselves mm-hmm. uh, may find this um, a very frank discussion they're not used to listening to. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think that, you know, I mean, this, this is important. I mean, I've heard the interview and I learned a lot and I heard a lot of things that I'd forgotten. <laughs> yes. Because yeah. of you know, my advanced age. But, um, but I think it's important that these discussions, because uncomfortable discussions have to be had yes and i mean she gave some really awesome advice and i mean i'm not really looking forward to it because i i'm nervous as to how ainsley's going to react going through puberty and and that's scary for me as i'm sure it is for any parent you know especially if you have a child with some different needs so uh, you know, but I learned a lot from Andrea and, you know, I, I feel 
a little bit more confident in my abilities and in how I can sort of start now. Like Ainsley's only eight and it is kind of on the horizon, but there are lots of great tips that she gives about how you can, you can start now really very yeah. easily. And, and, and I mean, uh, she gives a lot of, she, she creates a lot of tools Mm -hmm. uh in this that parents can like once you know you can't unknow yeah, yeah. and so it's very it, it's very important that that having rather than having this come up as a surprise you know that this is going to happen you mm -hmm. know that there's uh there's no way around this mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. is going to happen whether you want it to or not it's like the rain it's like when the rain falls you know what's going to happen yeah <laughs> it's coming you can't stop it yeah uh so it's it it uh, this is an important show i i think this is a very important show for parents yes and i mean we talk a lot about a lot of various things you know even you know sexuality and how to even help prevent you know sexual abuse which i think it's a whole topic that we could have another whole episode on um, but we do touch on it that i also learned a lot about as well so yeah i think this is you know right up there with the toilet training episodes you know the another I, uncomfortable discussion <laughs> but a, a milestone that you know we all want to get through but yeah it it was a real eye-opener I would say and a really she gave so many great tips and lots of links so we'll definitely put the links in the show notes so that uh, listeners can access the different things that we we talked about on today's show okay well let's go talk to Andrea Lee about all this stuff okay Today on the T21 Mum podcast, we have Andrea Lee from the DSRF, one of our favorite places, and she is a teacher and a sexual health educator there. Welcome, Andrea. Hi, Mary. How are you? Ah, oh, great. First day of spring break. So, you know, it's nice to be at home. Yes. That's, well, we've been at home a lot this past year. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. <laughs> So why don't you tell us a little bit about you and like what you do at the DSRF? Cause I know we had you for what, one block of reading mm -hmm. and, um, but I know that you've kind of are doing some other cool things there at the DSRF that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So I'm a BC certified teacher. Um, I did my master's in Montessori education and children with exceptionalities. So I used to teach Montessori elementary school, mm -hmm. but then I switched to special education once I started noticing in my own classrooms, the kind of gap that in education that children with disabilities were getting. So I ended up at the Down Syndrome Resource Foundation. I started teaching the adult programs. And then I also started doing one-to-one -one reading and math. And that's what I did with Ainsley. Mm -hmm. And then over the last year and a half and a bit, I did the training, the sexual health educator certification through options. Mm -hmm. And now I'm starting this whole comprehensive sexual health education curriculum. I've been doing small group programs and one-on-one -on -one programs over the last year or almost a year. And it's been really, really, really fun. And I'm really glad to come up, come on here and tell people about it because it hasn't been a huge thing for people with Down syndrome. Not many people are talking about sexuality in general. 
Yeah. And I, you know, and I think also like you just, there isn't, I don't think a lot of information out there for mm-hmm. our kids. And because I know for me, but like the whole thought of like adolescence and puberty and sexuality, it like almost terrifies me because I'm not really ready for this. You know, I'm not alone. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) You know, and like Ainsley's, she's only eight. So, you know, fingers crossed that I'm hoping that I have a little bit of time, but I guess really how do parents kind of prepare for this inevitability? You know, we all go through this but it might be a little bit more challenging when you're dealing with someone with some different needs, like such as Down syndrome. Definitely. I think it's scary for all parents. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's right across the board. Nobody knows how to handle this. And I feel like a lot of people, our sexual health education wasn't that great in schools. And so where (laughs) did we get it? Like, I feel like most people are kind of self-taught, which isn't great, which makes it kind of scary to talk about this. When you feel unprepared, how are you going to passes on to somebody else you know you just Mm -hmm. hire an expert and in having done the training sexual health educators are amazing these days but you know parents want to be able to do things for themselves too Mm so I mean I've got some bad news like (laughs) puberty is coming pretty soon (laughs) oh darn (laughs) and you know (laughs) with the general like with everybody puberty starts it can start as early as eight now. It gets a little oh, bit yeah. early every generation. Yeah. Sometime between eight and 14, typically. And with Down syndrome, it's about the same time, like almost exactly the same time. Okay. That is not one of the delays. They will have puberty. It'll be, you know, genetics will be involved too. So whenever mm-hmm. you did, Ainsley will be around that time too. Okay. Oh, a little bit younger. But what will come first will be the growth spurt. So you won't have to deal with periods probably for a while. You'll know that your feet will grow first. You know, that will be your tip to be like, ah. Okay, (laughs) that's good to know. (laughs) You're going to start thinking about it. You know, you'll start buying new shoes more often than you usually were. And then you'll start noticing everything else. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know about that, about the the feet growing. I know, it's so funny, hey? Yeah, because I know, like, until... Ainsley was really a walker. Her feet were quite small. Like, I think they are still a little bit on the smaller side, like compared to her her typical peers. But yeah, I I did find like she stayed in the really small shoes for a long time. And then once she started walking, yeah, we got into like, it seemed to be faster that we were in larger shoes. But that's a good, that's a great tip, I think, for parents to just, you know, tuck away that that's that it's coming when they notice that their feet getting bigger faster. It's the funniest thing that that's the first place the growth spurt goes. You would think it would be height or something. Yeah. Those little feet. (laughs) You know, the most expensive thing to buy. Yes, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And then all of the other things, you know, like the body hair and body odor and periods Mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever else, that'll be kind of mixed around depending on who it is. So I would look for growth spurts first and then hormonal changes you know mood moody kind of things but even before that so even now I would start normalizing it talking about it okay and I would treat this not as like a big talk I feel like everybody's like oh sex is such a big talk puberty such a big talk I would rather do it as a thousand little talks you know 
every time you can bring it up. You know, if you have somebody who has periods in the house and they have period products around, be like, hey, there's a pad. And there's one talk that you did, you know, out of the thousands that you might have. It doesn't have to be a big deal. Be, you know, oh, got some cramps. It's my period. You know, just normalizing things just so it's not this foreign thing that the first time they hear it is like, what? And shocking. Yeah. That, you know, depending on your privacy of your family, I know a lot of people are uncomfortable talking about it, but you can still expose them to things, you know, to picture books, mm-hmm. to you know, oh, that person's got an adult body and you've got a child's body still. And what does that mean? Like, oh, they've got breasts, you know, you know, dad has pubic hair and a bigger penis or just anything that you could point out if that's something comfortable with your family, just to make it not a big deal. You want to normalize bodies. You want to talk about how everything's healthy, that these are things that healthy bodies go through. You know, erections start really, really, really young like in utero young (laughs) (laughs) and people feel weird talking about it because they'll sexualize it but it's just something that a healthy penis does you know way before it's related to attraction it'll happen and then you just point that out oh look at that your penis had an erection that meant it grew a bit it got a bit harder that's what a healthy penis does cool and there's one little talk that you've had instead of being like the all right, we're going to talk about sexuality. And this is what happens when you have sexual feelings. And Like that is too much. It's like, you can't over teach these things. Mm-hmm. A lot of people worry about bringing it up too early. But with kids, typical and not, they'll just take in what they're ready for. So you're not going to be like, oh, I gave them this. And now they're, ha- they're going to talk about this all of the time. You know, they'll take in what they're curious about. Mm-hmm. They'll pay attention to what they're ready for. You can give them a big talk and they'll only remember, you know, one word. And that's fine. And that's good. And the next time they'll remember like one whole thought or whatever it is. You know, you bring it up as early as you can, whenever you're ready, whenever you remember, because you're doing lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff. Don't worry if you didn't bring it up early at all. It's not okay. Too- Like, it's never too late. It's never too early. You can't teach too much, you know. Okay, good to know. Very forgiving topic. (laughs) And so you mentioned, like, some picture books, which I think would be good. Our kids are really uh, visual learners. So do you have, like, we can always add the links in our show notes, but do you have some names of some books that would be good for our kids? Like, especially younger kids, because I'm thinking, like, for Ainsley, she's eight, and I think it would be good to you know start talking about these things so Mm -hmm. so the well for everyone with down syndrome the absolute number one resource that all parents should at least have read or referenced if not owned is teaching children with down syndrome about their bodies boundaries and sexuality a guide for parents and professionals by taryn sorry terry cohenhoven she is a mom with a daughter with Down syndrome and she's a sexual health educator and she's written so many books. So that one's for parents and it covers everything. It is so amazing. You'll hear me reference it all throughout this. It's really, really, really great. But she's done a lot of other ones too. She's done two puberty books, The Girl's Guide to Growing Up and The Boy's Guide to Growing Up. And they have really wonderful pictures in them. 
like it's just kind of like a social story she has you know a drawing of a child's body and an adult's body and because you don't want to be show you want to be showing them visuals but you don't want to be showing them sexually explicit material at this age yeah. right? so she has drawings and you, you know you can make the comparisons like oh look this child's body has I don't know nipples and this adult's body has breasts and oh look look at the differences in hair and you know just comment on it that way okay um, another children's book I like it's called sex is a funny word by mm -hmm. Corey Silverberg and again it covers a whole lot of topics and I've been reading it with my daughter since she was maybe four but we started only reading like six pages of this huge book the picture the pages with pictures of different bodies and it'll show like like what a child's butt looks like versus an adult's butt and you know the differences in a body as it changes and it's just drawing so it's not sexual in any way but you get it you know mm -hmm. you'll be very curious about what do bodies look like what do other people's bodies look like what like is my body okay and then you can just see like oh yeah oh like, okay wow things look very different in lots of different ways and we can certainly we'll put the links in the show notes uh for those books and then that kind of brings up something that i've heard many times that it's really important that when you're explaining, I guess, puberty, adolescent sex to our children, typical or not really, um, really any child, that it's important to use the proper words and language. And can you explain why this is important? Okay, so it's important from a safety standpoint. So here's the story. There's, um, there was a nurse named Meg Hickling from the UK and a while ago, like decades ago, she moved to BC and she revolutionized sexual health education in our province. And she's just really, really wonderful. She's written some great books too. Maybe I'll send you some of her books too that you can add in the links. And what she ended up doing was she was teaching children about sexual health, but she was also doing, um, she would go to a lot of prisons and she started doing some research there where she was interviewing a lot of sexual, like, predators basically asking them like how did you pick your victims and you know she was asking them these questions because nobody else could because she was already in there and they trusted her and liked her because she was educating them on other things and what they were looking for across the board was for children who used nicknames for their genitals like you know there's so many like wiener and cookie and they seem to be a lot of food names food and yeah. whatever it is like little cutesy silly nicknames because what that would tell them is that they didn't have an adult in their life who was comfortable enough to talk about these things with and if they didn't have an adult they were comfortable enough with if they had something done to them they probably wouldn't tell anybody Mm -hmm. And if they told somebody, they wouldn't tell them in the right way. So maybe they weren't going to be believed, believed. or even understood. You know, someone touched my cookie is like, ha ha ha, that sounds really annoying. When it could have been somebody touched my vulva, somebody touched my vagina, you know, and that mm -hmm. is extremely different. And a child will just think like, you know, they'll report somebody touched my cookie. Yeah, my cookie. Right. And we're like, haha. And then they think, oh, I guess that's not a big deal. And a child's not going to think, no, 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 let me advocate for myself. They're going to think, 
the adults in my life think this isn't a big deal. It's not a big deal. And then they won't do anything beyond that. And so all of these prisoners were telling her that that was the first thing they were looking for. It's just, it was wow. so easy that why not, you know, and it wasn't always guaranteed, you know, mm -hmm. it's not that every single child who knows the proper names of the genitals doesn't mean they're certainly going to be safe, but it helps a lot. When yeah. You're when I heard that, I was stunned. I yeah. really like it totally makes sense. And and then also on a little side note, um, my brother who is a social worker mm. and deals with children who've been uh, sexually abused, he said, you don't teach your children the word secret because that's yes. all. You oh, always... I had that in my notes too to talk about. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like it's, we have a surprise because like the predators, they always you know, use, this is our little secret, but if children aren't taught, like, you know, they're not taught that, then they know that then if that person's saying that, then it's not something good. So yes. I always, I've always remembered that. And, and I, I like how, like, you know, when you just explained about the, the nurse in the prisons, like when I first heard it, I, like, it was kind of scary and, mm -hmm. but it, it just is. really reinforces why we have to teach our kids properly. Yeah, and it's not even harder to teach them the proper words. No, you, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, and it's just all about getting comfortable. You know, a lot of us aren't comfortable with using those terms and those words in when teaching our children. But, but it just, even if you're not comfortable, it's for your child's safety, which mm -hmm. is paramount. So I think, yeah, so I think it's just so important. So thank you for sharing, yeah. like, such an important, but. A little bit scary story yeah and if you're uncomfortable with it your kids won't make you feel more uncomfortable you know a lot of people don't know the difference between a vulva and a vagina for example and mm -hmm. when you know when i was teaching that to my daughter and she's like you know three years old and she said something about it once at camping she was like ah i forgot to wash my vulva or something really funny <laughs> <laughs> i was like why are we talking about this at the campground and the other parents who were there at the time were like she knows what her vulva is and I'm like well what do you call it you know mm. and they called it some nicknamey thing and I was like well same amount of syllables <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes no difference because to her she's just like it's a body part like yeah if she had forgotten to wash her elbow she would have announced that to everybody too yeah you know, it's about the same so you might as well do it and I'll I want to mention you know the website worth the conversation no, I have not heard of that. Oh, okay. So Lindsay Strickland does it. She, um, before she adopted her son with Down syndrome, she's a mom, she has lots of four kids or something like that. Mm -hmm. And before that, she worked in sexual health, sexual abuse prevention. And when she adopted her son with Down syndrome, she realized, she started doing more research and seeing the amount of abuse that children with disabilities, you know, Mm -hmm. get versus typical population she was working with the typical population seeing how bad it was and so she has made this really wonderful website with lots of articles and resources oh we will definitely link that yeah. as well and reach out to her she's in seattle i've been emailing with her a bit too she's really nice <laughs> oh, oh that's awesome oh all these great tips so early in the yeah. conversation so you know i've read from so many uh, different parents that their kids handled like the onset of puberty really well and others not so much and 
one woman wrote that her daughter would just start wailing, <laughs> you know, every yeah. time she got her period. So I don't, I mean, I'm not sure, but how, how is it best to teach our kids about their periods, body hair, voice changes, you know, the physical changes? I mean, you've already kind of touched on it, like maybe using the books and using the social stories, but do you have any other sort of tips on how we can sort of start this conversation with our kiddos? I think something that's pretty common, which I don't know if that's the case of the, you know, the girl who is wailing whenever she got her period, <laughs> because there's so many things involved. I mean, when you, your hormones are mm -hmm. out there, you're going to cry more often anyways. But for everyone, it's pretty scary. Your body's going through a lot of changes. And then because of your hormones, you can't even really handle it very rationally. And that's why I think doing, like we talked about before, a little bit early on helps a lot and hands-on helps a lot too. So I have a puberty kit that I feel like any household could have. It's just a little box of things that you'll need once you reach puberty and it's got deodorant in it, soap, um, some things for shaving if you think they might wanna shave, but you know, it's your body, your choice, not everybody shaves. Acne medicine, face wash, moisturizer because your skin's going to change. I'll have tampons, pads, period panties, a bra, like a sports bra and a bra with clasps and things like that, mouthwash, toothpaste. And it's just there. And I leave it out in my office so that even people who aren't there for sexual health, they're like, what is that? I'll be like, oh, it's my puberty kit, Stephanie during puberty. Just to make it normal. It's just like, these are things that people use. And even if I'm not explicitly talking about it, I'll be like, look at that, it's something called puberty is coming up and it's a big enough deal that you need all these extra supplies. And when you're curious, let's play with it. You know, um, <laughs> we play a lot with uh, pads and tampons, just like mm -hmm. launching them out. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes it normal, right? Like, right? I mean, when I was young, I hated buying them. You know, you feel exactly. weird, but everyone, Exactly. goes through this but like it should be normalized right everyone like, hates buying them everyone hates being like oh i want this size and i've got all the size and be like look how small this one is and how big this one is and you pop it out oh like what's this for it's gonna soak up your blood or and then you just talk about it pretty casually and it makes it way less of a big deal mm -hmm. you know i even have a spare pair of panties or they can bring their own in and we just put pads on it and rip them off and practice throwing them away and doing all this stuff be like you know and for some just with fine motor skills that might be difficult and yeah. period panties might be the best choice for them mm -hmm. because of that but it's just being like oh look at these period panties look how thick they are in the middle let's touch them you know cool what are they for and I feel like just having the experience with it makes it like less scary like if I you're just like oh you're 13 here you go, go. yeah you no, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I, I love that. Like having like a, a puberty kit. I think yeah. that's awesome. I'm going to get one together as soon as possible. So yeah, that's, yeah, it just makes so much sense. And, and it's that our funny. kids can, can see all these things and just not think, Ooh, or kind of ashamed, yeah. you know, like, cause it's puberty's tough already. And then you're yeah. going to deal with all this stuff. So you also never know what they're not going to like. So one of um, somebody I had, she really didn't like that uh, pads were sticky. And I was like, oh, 
that was not something I was expecting. And she was like really grossed out that it was sticky and didn't want to put it on. And so that was something that we had to address. And you just don't know what things might be the most upsetting. It was like the sight of blood, nothing to her. Oh, Stickiness, wow. Ugh. Oh, and so interesting. It was so interesting. And she is a huge success story. I started do, um, doing lessons with her maybe sometime last year. And a few months later, she had her first period and her mom reported that she was just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> this thing happened. <laughs> Andrea told me this. And I was like, I was like, this is the biggest success story ever, because I was upset when I had my first period, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, and- yeah. <laughs> I thought it was gross. And she was just like, oh, yeah, OK, like, so casual. And I was like, perfect. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. So you know, prior to doing this podcast, I I post on a couple of the different forums I'm on. I'm on a gazillion, but I post on a few and, you know, I looking for questions and you know, one, one mom said, uh, everything. She wanted to know everything, (laughs) but, (laughs) but a commonly asked question was, um, how to teach our kids about privacy, like that there is a place to do certain things like, you know, touching yourself, your hands down the pants up the tops, like one woman said, they were struggling with that, like all or actually not just one, but several. said they were struggling with it all the time, it seemed to be more boys, but there was a few where it was girls, and it wasn't just down the pants, it was, you know, up the shirts and, and stuff. And, you know, just on a little side note, like Ainsley seems to be starting to understand a little bit about privacy because she often wants the bathroom door closed. So do you think like that's a good sign? I do. Yeah. I think that's a great sign for Ainsley. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Okay. So lots of things. I'll I'll talk about um, privacy first. Okay. So I think one thing with our kids with down syndrome is they have so many complex needs maybe medical needs maybe you know help with hygiene needs that they don't get a lot of privacy they spend a lot of time seeing tons of specialists who are helping them you know putting their hands in their mouth and speech and doctor's appointments doing all of these things that if we're not careful they'll just be raised to be very complicit to adults and the fact that Ainsley is setting some boundaries being like well this is my time to close the door amazing so great for her you know you want to encourage these boundaries it's tricky because you want people to know that they're in charge of their body quite often a kid especially kid with down syndrome or answer like mom's in charge of my body or dad's in charge of my body and you want to be like oh if your nose was itchy would you ask mom for permission no you would just scratch it you're in charge of your body but your mom and your dad and specialists and doctors are there to keep your body safe. So there are things that you will have to do, you know, but maybe you don't want to, or maybe they're uncomfortable, but for your health and safety, you will have to do them. Otherwise we really need to talk about what you can do in a public space and a private space. And I think sometimes kids with Down syndrome don't get an actual private space for themselves because people are checking in on them. Are you okay in the washroom? Maybe they share a bedroom. Maybe people are checking in on them in the bedroom unannounced. So mm-hmm. I think for the, you know, to be respectful for them, actually set up a private spot for them. If it's the washroom door closed, if it's their bedroom door closed, set up like a knocking rule in your house. Mm-hmm. You know, I will check up on you, but I will knock first. 
or I will announce myself and give you a warning when I'm coming in. And if you say, you know, I need a minute, then I will give you a minute or, you know, have timers and stuff. Because if somebody's getting in trouble for doing things that everybody will do, you know, whether it's touching themselves or exploring their body or looking at themselves, which they're going to want to do, why wouldn't you when your body's changing? Mm -hmm. You know, if they get in trouble because you just saw them do it, they're just going to stop caring and they'll just do it anywhere. You know, if they don't have the time and the place to do it, they're just going to do it any time and place they want because they're going to get in trouble. Regardless. Exactly. Uh, okay. So yeah, I think that makes, yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and a lot of times people don't do it and they, or they think about it too late, you know, when somebody's masturbating, but they share a room with a much younger sibling and it's just like, you know, other brothers or sisters who share bedrooms have to set up their own rules. Mm -hmm but your child with Down syndrome is not going to, you know, may not even have the verbal skills to communicate these things. So you have to help out with that. Even if that feels awkward, you have to help them set up their own, their own space. I'm going to knock. I'm, you know, I'm going to set this up. You can't come in during this time. I'll give you half an hour. Yeah. You know, okay. I'm yeah. not going to burst in on you. If you need help, you can call me. If I think you're fine, I'm not going to come in. Just things like that. And every family, it'll be different. Everybody needs, you know, I've had some who are like, I don't want them alone for that long. And it's like, yeah, they might not be able to for safety reasons in case they're getting into things. Mm -hmm. But at least you have to give them some autonomy. Just be like, when I'm coming in, I will knock first and you tell me it's okay to come in. But I will be coming in every... 10 minutes or whatever it is. Yeah. Okay. No, that's, I think, excellent advice. So yeah, like to give them their own space mm -hmm. and they, so that they, so like, for example, if the child's older, for example, and you know, I, I mean, I read about it where maybe the, a note comes home and yeah. you know, the boy was, you know, playing with his hands in his pants. So like, what would you suggest at that point? Like, yeah. Cause like I, maybe they have like limited understanding that, you know, we, like, I guess at that point say, no, you can go do this. This is your time in your room or like how yeah, I, would, I would do that. I would be really explicit about these things and okay. I would use visuals. And if you had to use a social story, there are some great visuals you can use. I mean, even board maker has symbols for these kinds of things. Oh, okay. Oh, that's great. I would recommend everyone look up the board maker symbol for horny because it's very funny. Okay. It's a, it's a really weird face that I'm like, I don't know about this. Uh, there's actually a local teacher named Jessie Bullen. She does shift education. Mm -hmm. She has a set of visuals that she sells for, you know, visual learners. And it's all of these drawings of self-touch and different body parts and everything like that different scenarios that could be used to make a social story too okay we can add that link too hmm. <laughs> there's so many so much and information <laughs> <laughs> and i would be very explicit when you're saying like oh you can do this in the washroom i would be like you can do this in your washroom with a photo if you needed it not the community center washroom not your school washroom like there are certain things right like, I've made so many visuals like where can you change your clothes changing room the doctor's office bedroom bathroom 
where can you touch yourself? Your bathroom, that's it. Like maybe not even every bathroom in the house, right? And like your bedroom door closed or your bed if they are in a shared space. And just, you can't be too detailed. You can't assume they're going to generalize this. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's, yeah, that makes very good sense. And then with yeah. the hands in the pants and the hands up the shirt, but uh, it's very common and it's very tricky because I've had this with even a lot of the adults. Like I've seen tons and tons of adults over the years and they know they're public and they're private, like the back of their hands. They are extremely respectful. And sometimes I think it's an anxiety or a sensory thing where something will happen. Like usually it's, it's you know, they're a bit nervous about something and then the hand will go, you know to their nipples in their pants okay and it doesn't always seem like it's even like I don't think it's sexual I don't think they're doing it because it's you know pleasuring themselves in any way I think it's just comfort because of the warmth mm -hmm. okay sometimes and like not sometimes it's not sometimes it's just somebody does not know where they're supposed to be touching themselves but I feel like it's very common and I've been talking about it with other people at DSRF to see what, what we can brainstorm. That's what's so nice because we have so many experts mm -hmm. talk about the sensory needs and mental health needs and what's going on here. But because it's so common and it's so prevalent, even with people who understand different types of touch, public and private, expected and unexpected behavior. Okay. I mean, this isn't, this isn't comforting when I'm just like, oh, it's so <laughs> tricky and we've got tons of experts looking at it and we still don't know. But yeah, it's, I feel like you could, you know, you definitely can improve upon it, but we're working on it. <laughs> so, and I guess that kind of goes into my next question. And I mean, you've sort of answered it because a few other parent, a few other parents, like when I posted these questions said their kids are in their teens with limited understanding. And, you know, some said they're still in diapers. Right. And so how do they teach you know, kind of deal with these, with like personal hygiene, you know, hands down the pants, because in this case, it could even be worse, you know, yeah. if they're wearing pull-ups, you know, showering and shaving. But I mean, do we go back to like using the visuals and the social stories? Like that's sort of what I'm thinking, but mm -hmm. you're kind of more the expert here. No, you definitely would. Even like, oh, you know, Hina, the occupational therapist, she's got lots of social stories for these kinds of things too. If you're having a trouble with maybe increasing independence around these things, I would go to an occupational therapist because okay. they'll help with adaptations. Like, you know, if somebody really wants to shave, are they going to be using a razor, an electric razor? Once Hina was telling me about all the different kinds of shavers she had found. And I was like, oh man, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> because I had someone who asked, um, can you rip out body hair? And I'm like, oh, are you talking about waxing? And I'm like, I don't know if that's the best thing for you. But there's so many other options and an OT would be the best one to go through. Oh, okay. That's, that makes total sense. So that, that's good. And we had Hannah on in the first season, so people can always go back to listen to that episode yeah. or even, or even contact Hannah if they have questions exactly. about that. <laughs> so the things like that, it's like, you want them to have their own choices and you can tell them all the different things there are, you know, there's deodorants and cologne and different soaps and different this and that. And for actual independence and in what you're actually capable of doing, like if you're still in diapers, because you can't reach independence toileting for one reason, then it will be hard 
do, taking care of all your hygienic needs too. And mm -hmm. then an OT would be better than me to talk about that. Okay. Like you no, said, visuals, social stories are just the key to everything. It's, yeah, it seems to be. <laughs> um, I know like you're not a medical doctor obviously but i assume you've probably spoken to a lot of parents but do you know and we're talking about girls if it's more common to put girls on birth control to help with pms and also just dealing with their daughter's periods because i've heard about this a lot but i don't know really know what the prevailing thought is out there or if you know so i've heard lots of things about this too and if you would put like a typically developing person on birth control for the reasons you're thinking about doing it for your daughter with Down syndrome, then I would do it. And there are lots of reasons why you would do it. You know, before I was sexually active, I was on birth control because my periods were so irregular. Sometimes they'd be two weeks apart. Sometimes they'd be like eight months apart that I just needed to know when it was going to come mm -hmm. just for my own you know, sanity. Of course. And, yeah. And I've heard that's very common. You know, if you, if your daughter really needs the schedule and like a calendar would help them a lot for this and they are having irregular periods. Yeah. You know, do something so that it's coming monthly and you know, when it's coming so you can prepare them beforehand. If you have, some people will have extremely painful or difficult periods, and this would be more of a medical issue. But what I have heard about this is so this is not medical. This is just from talking to other sexual health educators and people who have worked with people a long time that lots of people, if they have particularly bad periods, they'll be put on an IUD because for a typical person, it'll make your periods like super light and easy to deal with. But an IUD might actually make it worse. Mm. But and and because we're not med people in medicine, we don't know. It's just been anecdotally spread through tons of people, some of my students too, their families have shared the same thing, but the patch, the birth control patch seems to be better because oh, okay. you just stick it on, you forget about it, and it evenly throughout the day disperses hormones. Whereas something like the pill- um, Gotta remember to take it and- Exactly, some people hate swallowing it. Some yeah. people will take it at slightly different times during the day, which will make it not as great as it could have been, especially if you're trying to control things like hormones and things like that. And so in that case, the patch may be the easiest, but of course, talk to your doctor mm -hmm. physician about this. Um, I've heard some people who want to put their daughters on birth control in case something happened to them, then at least they wouldn't get pregnant as well. And for that, I'm like, well, I mean, that's true, but pregnancy is not going to be the biggest thing you deal with if they got sexually assaulted, you know? Like there's a lot of other things you need to deal with too. So that wouldn't be the primary reason to put somebody on birth control. But I have heard that quite a lot talking about people with disabilities. Well, it was in the back of my mind too, but it does yeah. make total sense like it shouldn't be your pride i mean obviously it's a personal choice but yeah when you said that it does make sense to me it yeah. should be your primary reason and i think like what we were talking about previously if you're teaching our kids as best as we can the like you know the right words and you know about their bodies that i mean that they're your, that this doesn't become an issue but mm -hmm. i mean we we don't have a necessarily a lot of control over that exactly so, but yeah. there's just 
there are lots of reasons why you would use birth control, whether you're sexually active or not, or even if you don't know if your child is sexually active or not, your adult child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's lots of reasons why you could and a lot of benefits. Yeah, I mean, and I would always discuss it with them to just make sure they know why you're doing this. I wouldn't do any of this secretly. Secretly, yeah, yeah. yeah Cause I mean, I did read, it was just in a forum. It wasn't on a question that I had asked about one family they were considering. I mean, I've never heard of this, but like a partial hysterectomy. And mm. I, mean, I mean, they were just looking at all their options and a lot of people were kind of mortified, I think a little bit. I, I mean, I don't really know what that would entail, but just, right. you know, I mean, they're just looking at, and they just said, they're just looking at all their options, what would be the best for their child and, and, and things. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot, but I think, you know, we have to start young and, you know, prepare and preparing ourselves as well, not just our kids, but getting ourselves in that mode of, you know, yeah. using the proper language and, and the proper words and, and yeah, pictures. These are all the things you have to think about and they'll yeah. come sooner than you think, probably. I know. It's oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I know we've talked about it uh, and it, they seems relatively new, but like a lot of moms have said that they use the period panties um, for their kids, uh, for their girls. And uh and also a few mentioned that they would wearing a pad early to get them used to it and i I thought that was excellent idea and then one mom even said that due to her daughter's dexterity because fine motor is not always great in our kiddos and i know ainsley her fine motor is not great is that they preloaded the pads on her underwear so Mm kind of like your student who didn't like the stickiness yeah uh, so this child, this girl, they just, she just had to change her underwear and then put the yeah. underwear obviously in a bag or whatever, and then just get the fresh underwear, which I thought was an excellent idea, it's which I never even, yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. Like I thought, oh yeah, that just makes such total sense. So I thought that was a great idea. It is a great idea, especially period of panties. I love, I absolutely love them. I use them sometimes. They're so easy, but they're really expensive. I've heard that too. Yeah. Like they're like sometimes $40, $50 a pair. And you would need wow. multiple pairs because unless you're doing laundry every 12 hours or whatever. Yeah. So you would need so, a lot of pairs. They go on sale a lot though. So can you use the period panties without like a, a pad or anything? Because I sort of read some yeah. people were saying they use the pad with the period panties, but then I wasn't sure, could you just wear the period panties without any other protection? You entirely can, yes. Wow, it'll that's depend amazing. On the, you, it'll depend on the brand. So you would have to read about it because some will hold more liquid than others. So some are meant just to be as a backup to your tampon or a diva cup or a menstrual cup of some sort. And, you know, I feel like if you're having trouble even putting on a pad, you're not going to be also putting on a, tampon yeah using a menstrual cup but there are lots that will hold oh I didn't look it up I can't remember but it's something like at least a tampon's worth of liquid sometimes wow. that. so that's going to last you at least the school day and then you can come home and change sometimes yeah. depending on your flow it could last you the whole waking day and then you just change for the night and then it'll last you all night and they're so easy, you just put them on. 
That is, yeah, wow, that is so fantastic. Well, I would start looking for sales now. Okay, I will. Okay, that's <laughs> right, good so to you know. Can, so you can stock up. There's lots of really great brands. There's lots of great Canadian brands and local brands. Oh, fantastic. Um, on sale. But I, I like the idea of using pads and just doing it for them too, because that makes it a lot easier. That'll be a lot cheaper too. If Yeah. Because you'd be spending hundreds of dollars at a time to get enough pads for one week but then you won't have to buy them ever again or for the period panties yeah <laughs> right they last a long time oh that's good to know but so yeah, that's all you need i mean we've talked a lot about like the physical changes but i think what's equally important are like the mental changes like how do we best encourage you know healthy social interactions in our kiddos Oh, so big, so good. <laughs> Such a good question. So there's going to be so many changes with puberty and just throughout life. Um, I really like the zones of regulation curriculum. Mm -hmm. If you've heard of that, you know, mm -hmm. green zone, if you're calm and happy, red zone, if you're angry, blue zone, when you're sad and tired, yellow zone, if you're, what is that, silly and excited and fresh and things like that. And it's, you know, normalizing all types of feelings that everybody will have throughout their days, but also coming up with strategies to get back to the green zone, to get back to being calm and focused and happy and things like that. And I feel like during puberty, when you're having much, much, much stronger feelings, having those strategies to get back is even more important because if you're trying to, you know, sit in your classroom, interact in a group setting, have a nice, evening with your family and your hormones are raging and you're just really really angry and you're like yelling at people you are not going to have healthy relationships with anybody even those that already love you mm -hmm. and it's extra tricky right now I mean I think everybody's heard about or has been that moody teenager and imagine <laughs> not understanding why you're going through that too or having any strategies for self-care and regulation to get back to, you know? So I feel like that's the most important thing that if you're going to be interacting with others, you gotta be able to have some control over yourself too. And you'll need help with that, right? Like that'll be hard. Mm -hmm. I think another really big thing is there's something called the circles curriculum. And it talks about the circles of intimacy in your life. So there's your family, which is mm -hmm. your close circle, your friends, your, acquaintances, classmates, and whatever, your paid helpers, community helpers, and strangers, and really understanding, oh, sorry, <laughs> hear my phone, uh, the difference between those circles. Uh, I feel like a lot of the time, uh, our kiddos, oh no, even some of the older ones with Down syndrome, will get confused. Who is their friend? You know, is my therapist who's the funniest most fun person ever my best friend because I really enjoy spending time with them no it's a different set of boundaries and rules you know you can't just text them up you can't ask them to be your girlfriend just because they make you laugh and they're really pretty um, they're not coming to you your family Christmas party and things like that even though you really like them mm -hmm. just, like, you know making setting these boundaries early on and you know, still acknowledging and celebrating all of the wonderful relationships they have, you know, like your EA is the 
best. We adore them. They adore you. They are so much fun. But if you want someone to hang out with, let's look at somebody your own age that you have in common with. Let's look for friends from sports, special love from school and things like that. I've seen a lot who are quite lonely when they realize that mm. their best friend is someone who's paid to hang out with them. Yeah. And then when school or that program is over and that person isn't in their life anymore. I mean, sometimes they end up, you know, sometimes they become family friends and you do keep in touch, but you can't expect that. And you really want to tell them like, it's hard, but you will have to make your own friends too. Yeah, I know that's what I've heard too. And that's, you know, you do kind of worry about that and, and hope that you can, we can, that we can teach our kids, you know, what the different relationships are. And I guess it goes back again to social stories and, mm -hmm. and explaining, I think from, from early on, because I know that a lot of our kiddos, I mean, again, Ainsley's only eight, but mm -hmm. you know, I, I think it's coming <laughs> is that a lot of our kids, you know, they have crushes. I mean, all teenagers have crushes, but <laughs> some of our kiddos seem to crush really hard. And I mean, the teen years are hard at best for, for anyone, let alone someone who has Down syndrome. So, I mean, you kind of touched a little bit on it, but how do we explain these different sort of types of relationships and feelings? Like what are crushes and what is a boyfriend or girlfriend? Like what's an appropriate relationship? Like you said, you know, like they, they think their paid helper is their best friend, but then they find out they're, well, they might not realize that they're actually paid, but you know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. So one thing that I find helps is, you know, I feel like this is said a lot in the Down syndrome community, more alike than different. And to think about yourself and others around you, and then try to think about how your child is dealing with the exact same feelings that you had a lot more support with dealing with this. I feel like, um, I know that's something that's really common is people being like, I want to marry my mom. I want to marry my dad, I, you know, or they have crushes on family members even. Mm -hmm. And it's because those are probably the people they see the most and the nicest people that they know, right? Like who loves you more than your family? And, you know, more like than different. I know a lot of people who end up marrying somebody who reminds them of their dad, who reminds them of their mom, but they can see the difference between I want to find someone who has these qualities in this person I really admire versus I'm going to marry that person. I'm going to marry my dad, you know, instead of being like, well, my dad is really kind, generous, funny, whatever. Mm -hmm. I want to marry somebody like that. And so that's what I'll do a lot with some of my students. Um, what do you like about the people that you like and how are we going to find that somewhere else? You know, Oh, you're, cousins your favorite person one of your best friends cool what is it that you like about them how can we find that with somebody else and then so terry cohenhoven in her book that i talked about before has um these checklists that uh i use and that i've adapted and there's one called the romantic partner checklist <laughs> and it's these like it's really explicit teaching and it's really 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 helpful and successful just from I've been using it with lots of people and it'll say things like you know item number one are they single right <laughs> <laughs> because it's so we see a lot of crushes on like 
paid helpers, right? Because yeah. they're super nice. They're awesome. Um, you know, sometimes you can't, like if you're a teenager, sometimes you can't even tell if they're that much older than you, you mm -hmm. know, if you have somebody in their like early twenties helping you out. So sometimes it's easy to just be like, are they single? Oh, they're married or dating. Or even if you say they are just to make it easier, I think that's okay too. And just be like, gone. You know, if there's one no on this checklist, that person is not somebody that's a future romantic partner for you. One of the things on the checklist is, are they in your family? You know, like you uh -huh. want somebody not in your family. They're in your family, ah, oh, gone. Like you can't even consider that. And it sounds a lot harsher where it's just like, you know, automatic no. But I think it makes it really easy. You know, everyone I've done this with, when I first started doing these checklists, I thought, oh, this is going to be just sad news. <laughs> you know, <laughs> look at all these people you can't date. But everyone has taken it really well. They've been like, oh, okay. Oh, Who's that's, next? that's awesome. Because like I did read about this one woman who became the guardian of her niece. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know the circumstances, but essentially, I guess she was now the mom, I guess. And, but she had an, a teenage son. I think they were close in age. And then the, the niece was crushing hard on the son oh, you know, yeah. who's really technically her cousin but i guess now right. stepbrother and lots of people said it will just pass but i think like what you said about going through the checklist like that would probably be really beneficial for her to yeah. go through the checklist like is are they in your family yes he's in the family so he's oh, off limits <laughs> is he and i think they said he even has a girlfriend and they try to introduce that but i guess you know, if they can go through the checklist and like actually yeah. put some X's on there. And sometimes if I, you know, some things on the checklist will be things like you've gotten to know them slowly over time. You like to hang out with them. You have things in common. So sometimes I'll acknowledge, I'll be like, hey, look, we've got a lot of checks. No wonder you think you like them. They're a pretty cool person and you have a good relationship, but it's not romantic. Let's think of somebody else. And like the last item on the list is you both like each other. And so even if everything's there, but they don't like you, like it's a no. And so that's one of those ones where if they're crushing on, you know, the most popular guy in school or something like that, and you don't know that they like you, how do you find that out? And there's uh, another, another link for you, realtalk.org. They're this okay. uh, organization in Burnaby that does um, sexual health education for people with intellectual disabilities. Oh, and they wow. have a lot of videos accessible online and on YouTube. And some of them will be things like, how do you show someone you like them? How does someone show you they like you? How can you find out, or how does someone show you they're not attracted to you? How does it feel to find out someone doesn't like you? And so they're meant to watch with your child. They're more for teens, but I think anybody who's crushing can watch some of these videos. Yeah. And it's just like, how does it feel to find out the person you like doesn't like you back? It really, really sucks. And, you know, <laughs> talking about that because it's for anybody, it's a bit devastating. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, you could do this checklist and be like, you went through all this checklist and then you found out they don't like you. You must feel terrible. How are we going to help you out? You know? Yeah. Like, you can't be like, get over it <laughs> because you don't just get over it. No one <laughs> just gets over it like that. <laughs> But you can find people to talk about it with. You can, you know, do some self-care, like listen to your favorite music, have a dance party. You can, oh, 
I just have to share this story. I was talking about this with one, a teenager. And I was like, what would you do if you found out the person you like had a boyfriend already? He was like, ah, I'd go to the girls' school. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? He goes, go to the girls' school. Lots of girls to talk to. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> with women and see what happens next I'm like all right you know but just yeah those videos are really helpful because it's people with disabilities and people without disabilities talking about their experiences and it's all kind of the same you know like how do you find out somebody likes you they talk to you more they make excuses to hang out with you they look at you more they compliment you more you know how do you find out someone doesn't like you you know even if it's your stepbrother or something like that they don't want to touch you they their body language and those kinds of things might be hard to pick up on and then you have to do explicit teaching on that like oh how can you tell someone's making eye contact because they're being polite versus checking you out what does that even mean you know these are all skills that you might have to teach and if it'll feel like it's endless yeah <laughs> and it but might be <laughs> It, but it it's all good. like everything's really helpful you know and having some other resource guiding your conversation makes it a lot easier you know the yeah. thing you're missing you'll be like oh I never even thought about that this is why you're upset or this is why you can't move on or this is why you're confused you know but these videos and the books and Terry and real talk will help you well it just sounds like I mean it sounds like there's a ton of resources out there, which I had no idea about, which is awesome because I'm willing to bet like a lot of the parents that I'm reading about on the forums are probably thinking the same thing that they don't yeah. really have a whole lot. So yeah, we'll definitely be putting like, this will be full of links, to this, <laughs> this, these show notes, but I think it's just so important for, for us and also for our kiddos. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. we need, we need to be able to guide them through this time. Cause it's, it's, it's such a hard time. And, you know, when I was growing up, it was kind of, you were kind of left your own devices, essentially, you know, you, yeah. you get the little talk and then that was it. Right. And then, you know, you talk with your friends, we didn't have the internet back then. And so now I think it would be even worse. And so there's, yeah, you've got lots of great tips and, and links and stuff. So that's, fantastic and i keep finding more stuff all the time so <laughs> it's <laughs> pretty wonderful i mean the things for things that are down syndrome specific there's less but a lot of it will overlap you know there's a lot of things for autism like the peers curriculum that i haven't done a ton of research in but it's like a social skills program mm -hmm. that is really wonderful there's things online and videos that they have online too and yeah there's you know people are trying to help out they're doing the best they can and Oh, that's yeah. Right. Well, yeah, because it's 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 scary. But even just chatting with you, I'm feeling a lot better already. <laughs> right. You can do it. It's, I can do it. <laughs> there's ten thousand things you need to do, I know. but they're really small, and you do them slightly, slowly, all throughout life, and it's okay. And if yeah. you do late, it's okay. You do them early, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I think we can. I think you we do can your best, start. Right? yeah and and that's what you have to do is just tr try to do your best and like you said you can start off small 
you know, and get the little puberty kit, which I'm going to work on this week, you know, ah, nice. <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, for sure. You know, I'm going to have a little basket in her bathroom that will yeah, have all that stuff in there. So I think that'll be great, you know, because I think, you know, all these feelings and experiences that teenagers, whether they have Down syndrome or not, are obviously very normal, you know, but, you know, I guess when you're a parent to a child with Down syndrome, like, you know, you, there is a little bit more involved, like you have to do a little bit more teaching, you know, but teach our kids that it's okay to have these feelings. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, that some things are done in private. And I mean, I think sex in itself, like that might be another whole podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. That's a big topic. <laughs> yeah. You know, and we can certainly do another podcast on that because, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Oh no, we'd love to have you back. Cause I mean, I think it's important for like, I mean, I know for me, I would love for Ainsley to experience like a, a mutual loving and healthy relationship and, and, you know, and if she chooses to have a boyfriend, you yeah. know, I, I, I would love that for her. And, you know, we all want those things for our kids, I think. Yeah. And, you know, and we just have to guide them a little bit more and to provide the resources and that can mm -hmm. make them successful. Like you said, like doing the checklist and, and seeing mm -hmm. if that person is interested in you and, and, you know, doing the, the social story. So yeah, that's Even like, I think even what your perception of what a mutual supportive loving relationship looks like is really different for some of the folks with Down syndrome too. And mm -hmm. I've heard parents say interesting things like, oh, I don't think they'll get along with this person because you know they don't talk as much as my child or they talk too much for my child. And I've just seen the most wonderful relationships and friendships blossom over you know, the most ridiculous inside jokes that have nothing to do with conversation where it's just they're whole relationship is based on dancing or making each other laugh through goofy faces and it's so beautiful and wonderful and you just never know when something like that's going to blossom you know you just have an open mind and give them the opportunity and see what they come up with and mm -hmm. it's, ah, it'll just be so beautiful it almost makes me say i can't wait but <laughs> i can wait <laughs> like, like, but i won't but i will wait <laughs> it will be great when it happens but yes wait. yes I just want to be, point. yeah, I just want to be ready and prepared and, you know, to do the best that I can for Ainsley. And, you know, and like I said at the beginning, I, I'm still early in yes. the whole Down syndrome okay. journey. Ainsley's only eight, you know, but like you said, it's, it's fast approaching and I'll watch for the shoe size. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think, is there anything else that like, you would like to talk about or do you think that we might have missed like i know like the whole topic of actual sex i think is a whole other topic on its own and we can certainly have another podcast about that but in light of what we talked about today do you think there's anything else you'd like to add i mean probably definitely i think there's tons of things we missed i think that's the point <laughs> right <laughs> i think it is just so big and that you're always going to feel like you missed out on something. And it's going to be extra hard if your child has Down syndrome because they might be medically complex, they might be behaviorally complex. This might be the last thing on your mind. And then you hear me say something like, I should have started early, but I couldn't have. And you couldn't have, you know, you could have been doing things for their survival, for their education, all of these other things too. So I just really, really want parents out there to be like, it's okay, you know, you're doing what you can, 
when you can. You are going to miss a ton. I've probably missed a ton of things. I'll be doing sessions and I'll be like, whoa, no one's taught you that. I never taught you that. No wonder. Let's teach you that next. You know, mm-hmm. like it's a wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> the wild West. Yeah. Yeah. And you got, you know, you do the best that you can and you're giving them the best shot that you can, you know, mm-hmm. don't blame yourself for things that, you know, oh, they don't have a best friend. This is my fault. That's not your fault, but also celebrate yourself when they do make these relationships and, you know, have the first period and they think it's okay, you know, and they're not scared of it and they normalize their body or they love their body. Like all of those things are what, what you did. And that's really wonderful and beautiful, but you can't take all the blame for all the things because there's too many things, <laughs> you know, I did training on this, for like a year with the classes and my practicum and I'm still missing things and I'm supposed to be the expert. How can you expect anybody to read all of the books that are out there and find them all and do every single curriculum? You're just, yes, we're missing things. We're doing our best and our best is going to do so, so, so much for all of these awesome folks with Down syndrome and their great lives ahead of them. Oh, thank you. That's awesome. Such great lives ahead. It's so exciting. And I'm just happy to help a little bit. Oh, no. And we totally appreciate it. I really appreciate you and everyone at the DSRF. You guys just do amazing things. And Ah, and I'm looking forward to us. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to us going back, like, you know, to our sessions in person. I think next block we'll be doing that. So that's awesome. It's so nice. It's been so long. Oh, I know. Turning into everybody, you know. We're doing it. We're getting there. So if people have questions, would would it be okay for people to contact you? Yeah, Andrea at dsrf.org. Please do. I'll do my best. And if not, I'll find someone who can do a better job than me. <laughs> no, I'll you do whatever I can. <laughs> oh no, you've been fantastic. And yeah, that there was a ton of information. So we will definitely post all those links and yeah, like Andrea said it's okay to contact her and and any of the people at the DSRF. You guys are amazing and always have tons of info and know how to help. And gosh, it's been such uh, an amazing journey having you guys, you know, alongside and and knowing that I've got a whole ton of experts, you know, there at the DSRF has been fantastic. Oh, and we adore you and your whole family. It's <laughs> oh, so thank funny. you. <laughs> answer any question you have and anybody listening to this not just mary (laughs) we will help everyone (laughs) oh that's awesome well thank you so much for coming on today andrea i so appreciate your time and sharing your wisdom especially about a topic that for a lot of us is pretty scary and pretty daunting but i think you've you know shared some amazing tips and info and and yeah, that's so awesome. And I actually already feel a little bit less scared about this next step. Yay, so. <laughs> you know, and it is scary. So you can feel a little bit scared. I know I really wanted to develop some sort of parent webinar workshop thing because I know this is a common fear. One day I will. And you know what, when you do let me know, and yeah. we'll certainly <laughs> let our, our listeners know, because I think people would be totally interested in that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's big, big topic, but awesome. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thanks for having me, Mary. You bet. Anytime. So Mary, that was kind of a very wow discussion. Mm -hmm. 
it was a discussion that you know, sometimes adults have to have frank discussions that make them uncomfortable might make them uncomfortable mm-hmm. and i'll say this it was been a, it's been a long time since i went through health and hygiene classes <laughs> uh, lots of good lessons in those health and hygiene classes but it's been a long time and there's a lot of things that i apparently have forgot <laughs> well and you know a few things have changed along the way so yeah especially it, in the presentation of like especially in the presentation of the information yeah yeah and you know yeah it was such a jam-packed episode you know and i would love to have andrea on again let's do that then to, yeah to definitely you know flesh out some of these other topics and you know she's a wealth of information just like all the staff at the dsrf they're amazing and they communicate so well yeah i just there's no hesitation in what they're talking about no not at all and yeah and they're all just they're almost like a special breed i think they're at the dsrf they're all agree just, with that awesome and you know they're very passionate about what they do there and you know and what andrea is talking about like you know sexual health and sexuality it's so important and you know and it's important i think that we teach our kiddos in the right way and in ways that they can understand and don't just assume that they don't understand or they don't know what's going on. And, and I mean, well, she brought up a really good point about, you know, don't give things pet names. Yes. You know, made where things it, can be misconstrued in the communication, like, like call it what it is. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and her reasonings why, like I, when I first heard that I was stunned, like it made total sense, but it, I was really stunned to hear it. And, uh, it's, it was a little scary because you hear that all the time yeah. and uh, I've, I've and, stopped that. And there's that. probably a lot more where it doesn't get reported. Oh, 100% for sure. You know, and lots of great tips. Like I love the one about, uh, you know, the, your shoe, the shoe size is going to increase. And that's when yeah, that, that one shocked me. I didn't, I never heard that before. So yeah. I thought, okay, that's like a really good warning signal, you know, that it's coming. So yeah, a lot, it's so much info there awesome info, you know, for us to take in. And And it was frightening to learn how much earlier the onset of puberty is. Well, and I also remember Teresa Unterstall. She was the author, you know, she, we had on um, a few episodes back and she said, you know, it often comes earlier in our kids. And I have heard that a few times. So it could be a mix of both. And I do recall her saying like, that was the scariest chapter for her to write. It was, or the hardest chapter, you know, because it was such a difficult time, you know, dealing with her son going through puberty. So, you know, and now there's so much more out there, you know, like you have easy access with social media and, you know. And and there's a lot more literature, a lot more studies. There's a Mm -hmm. lot more facts uh, rather than relying on the old anecdotal mom to mom kid to kid thing yeah so yeah definitely well worth the listen it it was an awesome episode i love chatting with her and i yeah definitely she's a very engaging she's he's very engaging in the way she presents the information yeah just a straight shooter and just you know makes it comfortable right which is a topic that many of us are 
not overly comfortable or even confident talking about, you know, with our kids. So yeah, I think. Or it, even with each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> but she made it, I think, like she said, you can start now and, you know, gave lots of great tips on how you can do that. So, you know, I, I'm sure there's lots of great takeaways from this episode. Okay. Well, uh, thanks again to Andrea Lee because for helping us understand a very difficult uh, topic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so shall we wrap this one up and look forward to episode 56? Yes, and episode 56 is we're bringing back Katie Renald once again for toilet training. So I was about to say to discuss the other difficult <laughs> topic. Yeah. Yeah, so we don't shy away from anything here at T21 mom. No, we don't. And you know, that's another very important discussion as well. So I'm sure people will benefit from that. Okay, so why don't you wrap us up and take us on out? Thanks for listening to the T21 mom podcast. And as always, I would love to hear from you. Tell me your stories, what's important to you, what's going on in your life. You can email me at info at t21mom.com or find me on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at trisomy21mama. And let me know what's going on with you. And also it would mean a lot if you could subscribe and leave us a review so we can become more searchable for others in the Down syndrome community. Keep on loving on your rocking kiddos and we will see you next time. See you, Mary. Bye, Ron.